you wanted me calling me all the time that blondie check out my chrissy behind it's fine all of the time like sex on the beaches what else is in the teachers of peaches we interrupt our program to bring you this important message hi i'm chucky wanna play you know it's halloween i guess everyone's entitled to one good scare be afraid no be afraid Ghouls and gore, and sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the interview show, part of my bloody podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. Here in this lock-in, this lockdown, I'm Brian Kluger, and I am joined by the man who I want to walk in life in this uh, in this hazmat suit with, Mark Chaffordini. How you doing, Big Shoots? Oh, not so bad, and you? <laughs> oh, good, and you? Not so bad. I'm very excited uh, for today's episode. We have some fantastic guests on. We have the the amazing legendary intercontinental champs of music <laughs> david Heyman and cody partridge part of this amazing collective uh called the super group sonic branding david cody welcome how are you guys doing well thank you I, I, I like the uh, the IC reference. It means we're the workers, right? Yeah, we're yes. the real work, workhorses. You're the, you're the workhorses. You're moving your way up. I like That's right. it. <laughs> we keep things afloat. Yes, yes, you do. Uh, and I just, you know, living in these like very Twilight Zone esque times that we're living in, I just want to ask, like, how are you guys doing in all of this? How, how are y'all? How are y'all? I'm good. I'm, you know. <laughs> Dave, I, I I don't know yet. That's still uh, to be determined. I wake up one way and then I go to sleep in a pool of fear and pee as usual. And, and you guys are both in Canada, right? Yes. All right, and we we are down in Dallas, Texas. So we are uh, we are oh, wow. both living in this locked in world. Uh, but yes, uh, will you? First off, so Texas is on lockdown right now. Oh yeah, well, especially in Dallas, we it is. I mean, in the Dallas area, no restaurants or bars or clubs or theaters are open. Um, parks are basically closed. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting here. There's, I, I was it's like rush hours about like five five thirty. And earlier on in the week, I was out on the highway, and it's just like there's like four cars on the highway at rush hour. It was like a ghost town and surreal. Wow. Mm, it's just wild. It, 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 like it, that it, up here. It, 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 it's like that <laughs> it's, up there where you guys are? What part of Canada are you guys in? We're in Ontario, uh, which is, um, you know, everyone says they're from Toronto when they're from Ontario somewhere. Um, Cody and I both live outside of Toronto and, um, in like small towns, there's a lot of little small towns outside of, uh, the big city. We like to not be there as much as possible. Yes. All right. In general. Yeah. I'm not complaining <laughs> in that respect. 
keep me out of the city. I'm okay with that. There you go. So we, I mentioned earlier that y'all are part of this, this really cool uh, collective, or I, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it's called Supergroup Sonic Branding. And from what I know about this, it's like it, it's a group of people who can, are like the Sherpas. You lead us into the music, film, and television <laughs> world. Can you, can you uh, elaborate on the Supergroup Sonic Branding and what they do? I love that. We're the Sonic Sherpas taking you up the mountain, right? <laughs> Lead that me. is uh, that that is. We'll give Scotty credit where his credits due. That that's his line that he came up with for sure. Um, you know, it's truly that. I mean, the, it's a mountain for a lot of filmmakers uh, to be able to acquire rights for you know, intellectual property for songs and stuff that they love. That's, you know, hits the nostalgic core with their audience, things that probably inspired them to write their scripts in the first place. And we're able to make that happen. That mystery of how they're going to get to the estate or the artist and get them to agree to their budget who are involved in, you know, each intellectual property piece. I mean, it's all mystery to most producers and most directors for sure. So we like to think ourselves truly as like the Sherpas that will take you up that mountain, guide you the way. Um, you know, we'll show you some dangerous routes. We'll show you some easy ways to go. But ultimately, we'll get you to the top and we'll all kind of cheer, crack a beer. I, I've, I've got my Lone Star 16 ounce right here with me. So I cracked open this beer with y'all. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Shouts to Lone Star. Yeah. Survive so on South by. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, so, knowing that, where did it all begin with each of you in the music world? Where, where did you know? Where, where did it all begin for you guys? Was it like where you were little, you heard this song on the radio, or did you like you played this certain instrument and you're like, oh, this or this uh, movie had this really cool song in it? Where, where did it all begin, Cody? The OC. That's it. That's what started it all for me. I was watching the very first episode of The OC. It ends with the Joseph Arthur track, and I was hooked. I was like, how do they do that? Who does that? I want to do that. Let's figure it out. And, uh, yeah, from there I just kind of went to a music business program uh, in college and then uh, just kind of grinded until I met David. And then he gave me a shot, and we've been working together ever since, basically. How'd y'all meet? Uh, basically, at the time, I was working at the uh, the CMRA, which is similar to the Harry Fox organization, I guess, in the States. Um, and I was hating it. It was just data entry position. And so I did it old school, and I called up every supervisor in the city and went and met for lunch. Uh, I showed up. Uh, Dave gave me an, an opportunity to meet with him and grab a lunch and discuss. He was working on a side project at the time, actually. Um, that he was looking for people to get into music and that kind of thing. And I showed up in a full three-piece suit. And <laughs> still to this day, does he, he rib me for it and, and uh, rip on me for, for wearing the suit to the first, uh, first meeting with him. But uh, it seemed to work because I ended up getting an internship with him. And then things progressed from there. He left the job he was at, started what was Supersonic, you know, hired me aboard. And then it progressed into what's now Supergroup. So... That's a yeah. that's a great story. Hopefully, there's like a picture of this three piece suit. <laughs> I don't know if we got a picture that day, but like I said, I hear about it enough that I feel like I'm still wearing it. So, 
<laughs> did y'all immediately like each other and work together really well? I don't know. No. He's hard. He's hard to read. So. <laughs> No, I do not like Cody. I still actually don't really, really like Cody. Um, I'm the dream crusher you know, of the office, so that's why. Yeah, no, he's a jerk. Um, you take away all the he's, fun? He's, well, he's a nice enough guy. It's just, I, 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 I don't know. You know, some people, when you ask them, like, if something's public domain and you want it to be free in your movie, he's the guy that's going to break your heart. Um, he always tells me that Warner Chapel is involved with every single song that I pick and they're the worst to deal with. So we, you know, I shouldn't put that out there, but I did. Um, but you know, Cody's a heartbreaker. He, he gives me the hard cold facts when I'm excited about a song. So I, I really dislike Cody actually. <laughs> We're in therapy. We're working on it, you know, <laughs> oh, not anymore. Not true, not now. Distancing. Yeah, we're not in therapy anymore. So we're actually uh, in a recession right now with our progress, but, you know, we'll get back on the horse. <laughs> we will get back. We will get back. I do love Cody. I love him. I mean, my company really is, is truly, Cody's the backbone of this company and the heart of this company. We're, um, you know, we're unpretentious. We expect people to follow their heart. And the one thing that hit me about Cody in a sea of, you know, people trying to impress me with, you know, obviously what they're wearing and what they listen to and all that shit. Cody was who he was and, and is who he is and loves the music he loves. And that's at the end of the day, the most important thing. I mean, I, we both can't stand people that write music for syncs or send us specific music for shows that we work on. We just want everything to be from the heart. And like Cody embodies that. I must say. That's the nicest thing I think he said to me ever. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. We got it on tape, too. So that's awesome. I'm going to listen to that sound bite forever. (laughs) That's the absolute truth. Well, good. And David, where did it all begin with you for music? Was it the OC as well? I hated the OC. I don't think I've seen a full episode of the OC. Um, I I don't know where it began for me. Um, I'm trying to think of a good answer, really. Um, I've just always been a a connoisseur, I guess, of music. I almost want to say a hoarder of music. I like my father was a, like a vinyl collector. And then when CDs came around, he was enamored with those plastic beasts and, you know, we had drawers and drawers of them. So curiosity got to me, um, so much so that I, you know, never picked up an instrument. Why bother? Everyone else sounds great, you know? So I was more of a dancer um and uh you know really followed my heart as a as a dancer really and then you know got a scholarship um was part of a a a, like a river dance uh company in canada and we used to tour we did to uh east coast music awards we won a bunch of like weird celtic awards up here and that's where i met a lot of contacts uh that i work with today my mind is blown. <laughs> I I had no idea it was going that way. You're you're like a professional dancer. Not anymore. <laughs> well, not legally anymore. <laughs> wow. Well, that's amazing. That's great. I like that. I like that you made all the contacts in the dance world. That, that's that's super cool. I love it. I so love then, it. where 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 does the merry pranks? pranking come in because that's what do you say on your podcast you're touted as the merry prankster how does that fit into your day and how many hours do you spend on 
on pranking people i you know merry prankster actually is more of um you know the origin of the term um i'm gonna guess it's medieval um no 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 i love it though it sounds does sound medieval it's more of a a nod to um ken kesey you know and the electroculate acid tests um you know it's it's definitely a psychedelic environment at the supergroup and um you know a merry prankster was ken kesey and the grateful dead and the warlocks and all those folks um you know ginsburg was part of that scene and i try and lead with that ethos that you you know you gotta really go deep sometimes to find answers and sometimes those answers come from deep in the soul sometimes it's triggered by psychedelia um so i mean that's sort of where that idea comes from it's that also that lawlessness a little bit we always say that we work in the wild west um and although it's the wild west it's a bit of a delusion in our heads and we realize that so that's also a nod to hunter thompson um who's a delusional genius um in the same way that i like to think of myself plus i got you with the whole dancer thing i can't dance you imagine me in tights like <laughs> i really was like thinking of myself as he, he you made up the story of celtic or celtic and no do you know how fat I am? I'm like 307. I'm 373 last time I weighed. I would That's pay bullshit to see too. Dance, though. <laughs> oh my god, I was dying. I was trying not to break. <laughs> well, I still remember how Chris Farley and Patrick Swayze in that Saturday Night Live skit where they were pretending to be Chippendales dancers and fairly or Farley brought it like none other. So I Whoa. I was not casting any disillusion. I, I believed it. I bought it wholesale. That's a sketch? That's one of my favorites on Pornhub. I don't understand. <laughs> I had no idea that really. <laughs> so back to music supervision before the... Uh... No, I love that. I, hey, we're Welcome all big fans West of porn. <laughs> no, we're we're pa- fans of Pornhub here for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, well, now now since you brought it up, we're gonna have to have a video of you doing river dance. That's all there is to it. And, and that's then... not a problem. <laughs> Follow me on TikTok. Oh my goodness! So. So how, what was your first foray into film and television with uh, the supersonic or supergroup sonic branding? Um, so mine was uh, film school, doing it myself, truly. Um, I always, again, I, I, I'm just actually not truly talented. That's not a joke. I, I don't have talent and I, I see it in other people and I adore it. I sort of, I'm a magnet to it. And so, you know, I get all ready for film school. I think I'm going to be a cinematographer. So I start spending time with a lot of bands, shooting low light photography, you know, all that stuff. But when I actually get in there, I'm enamored by all these other artists. And I just want to help them support their ideas. And that kind of came down to like post-production where, you know, for all, all our efforts, they still ended up looking like student films, you know, and the one way to make them all great was to throw a wicked song on it um, or find a piece of intellectual property uh, that 
is in tune with people's hearts already. It's like tapping into nostalgia. It was easy to make a film look like it had greater production value than it did. So one of my first successes was uh, getting the likeness and rights to the song and image of Mighty Mouse for a feature film called Becoming Mighty. Um, sorry, a, a short film, short student film called Becoming Mighty. It was about a young boy who... Um, he's recovering from cancer, uh, treatments and trying to come to terms with it, being alone, being alone from his friends and everybody in his world. He conjures up these imaginary characters and sees himself as mighty mouse. So not only was it essential to, um, you know, make something cool and do it like I raised production value, but it was essential to the story. And that was all on my shoulders and we made it happen. That first time I got a fax from Viacom, um, I kind of got like that tingle that people talk about when they know they're calling. And I honestly just honestly didn't turn back. I called it producing for a while because people would bring me in as like, a, you know, Heyman, can you produce my thing with me? And then do nothing until post-production and then help me with music. And that kind of continued on after film school until I realized it was a, an actual job music supervision. And that's just so fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm enamored with how, like, cause in film or TV, when I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh, it would be so cool to pick out the music and, or do the music for this movie. And I'm just curious on like kind of the process. Is it like a series of phone calls you're researching what would do best with the scene and just or and you have to just wait for them to get back do you have to send a clip over or is, is it like a long involved process usually or is it usually happen within a matter of a day or two depends how crazy i am you know it does happen in a uh you know it, it, cody knows that if he sends me something like a search he's gonna get it, music tonight um, whether we send it to client and admit that it took that long or not, is a whole different story. Um, but we're, we've got music on the brain, um, and we, we have, you know, buckets of stuff ready to go at any moment, but usually a scene is sent to us and we wrestle with it and we go all around it. We take them all the ways up the mountain, um, and literally, uh, you know, show them, each route, like we'll put it up to picture. We'll take a song from our files that's been sent to us by a sync agent, by a musician, something that we found, something that, you know, someone else in the office has sent to us. Then we take that file, put it to picture, edit it, present it along with three or four other options to the director. And they get back to us telling us what they kind of like and what they don't. Um, we wrestle back and forth and then we go to clear it. Uh, and that's usually on the shoulders of the lead supervisor on each shop. And, uh, you know, they clear the song with all the rights holders. Cody helps all the time. He's a master in finding out who owns all the pieces. And that supervisor, along with Cody, will go out and secure the, uh, the rights to the song, get them to agree to the fees, get them to see the scene that we put together as a rough. Um, and, uh, at that point, Cody follows it through to paperwork stage. So it's, it's very step by step. Um, but it all does start with the creative process. Well, the editing really fascinates me because that's one of the things that, you know, we want to get into letter Kenny in a, a little bit, but, um, so, so you'll actually chop up the 
video to go with the audio or you'll just try to lay over the audio as based on whatever footage you get from your clients? No, it's, I mean, you know, if it's boring or not, the industry standard is we ask for a composer's version, which is all of the music on panned onto one side, uh, which includes the score and the temp music. So they may have put in, you know, a radio head song or a Billie Eilish song that they can't afford. And they'll give us the reference based on the movements, the way it moves in the scene. And on the other side of the track, uh, the channel of the of the audio track is the dialogue and the special effects and the ambient sounds and so what we'll do is we'll take that pan and steal it and then put it back into the center so we have a version that has no music use their music as a guide and then lay in our stuff and edit the tracks to fit that moment and and you're talking about milliseconds here right i mean there's a oh yeah one of my favorite scenes is in uh season seven and it's where uh, Shorzy hits one of the players with a hockey stick. And it's like the beats of the song are timed to each of these cuts and scenes in the, the shot. So, so, so that's that. kudos to the, that's the editor. So in, it, you know what? It's different for every show. On, on a show like Letter Kenny, we batch them up with music that, um, you know, Scotty, myself, Cody, Kaya. Um, at the beginning days of it, we had this guy, Sean Hamilton. We would all pitch stuff to kind of get into Jared um, Kesso's iPod at the time, now his phone. Um, and so he would fall in love with it. He would tell the editor, I need this for this scene. And the editor would masterly put it. So it's it's some shows where it's we have to be extremely proactive and there's other shows where we arm them with stuff beforehand and then they go forth with confidence knowing they can use what they have. Gotcha. And that's how letter Kenny operates. So that's, you know, your your props to the editors on that stuff for sure. And how did uh, you both and Scotty come aboard letter Kenny? How was that meeting with Jared and how did, how did it all come to be? Cause I mean, so, cause Canada had letter Kenny for a while. Um, I was fortunate enough to have the U be at the U S premiere of letter Kenny, um, a few years ago oh, cool. and just tried to like hell to get everybody to watch it. And then Hulu picked it up. I mean, I was buying bootleg DVDs of it before <laughs> it came out. Like, and you know, just cool. the fact of these great musical cues and music scenes in the in the show, such as you know the slow mo fighting or the slow mo walking, the credits, it's all pitch fucking perfect. And I'm just curious on how you got into this uh, series. Cody, you want to take this yeah, one? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, season one, it was done by a different supervisor. Um, and then, I'm not sure the story there, but season two, they needed a new supervisor. Uh, we had a couple different uh, supervisors around the city actually refer us. So, you know, they were talking because they worked on other shows that New Metric were doing, for example. And uh, they were like, you know, who's a great team? Supergroup. They would be perfect for this show. I think two or three different people suggested that they come chat with us. And at the same time, Scotty was knocking on New Metric's door um, from the other side. So like, oh, okay, we already know who Supergroup are because we've heard from Scotty. So then uh, I think what happened there was we just kind of you know, showed them what we could do, presented the the folders of music like Dave uh, mentioned that we do, 
And it just kind of worked with synergy. And the one thing with Letterkenny, too, is uh, Jared does put quite a few, a lot of the big moments in the scripts. So um, there's a lot of times where he comes to me and he's like, hey, man, we want to clear these songs specifically for this episode. And then I kind of do my thing. And I think Jared and I work very well together because basically I get him the answer. I get it cleared and say, here's how much it's going to cost. And then they make a decision at that point. So very rarely do I say, no, man, you can't have something. It's kind of like, okay, here it is. Here's how much it costs. You guys make the decision if you want that much of the budget allocated to that track. So I think he's happy with that. And that's how we kind of work together is, you know, I get texts from him, I don't know, weekly, I guess, being like, what about this song? How's this song? <laughs> is this hard <laughs> to clear? Are there samples in this? What's up with this? So and he says he has a fun like that's one of his favorite parts of the of doing the show, actually, is thinking of what music would work. And then we're there to support him if he if something he's looking for isn't attainable for the budget. Well, then we can supply alts as well. So we do all the background stuff. And we get, you know, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 percent of the back or the, the the feature moments. We're there with alts in case something comes in uh, that just doesn't work on whatever spectrum. Or he actually gets the cut and says, you know what, that song's not right. What else can we use? We're there to kind of support him. Uh, so Letterkenny, we're, we're definitely a supportive role, but we're also there creatively for him, too. Yeah, that, it's, it's so good. I love it. Mark? Yeah. Yeah, if, if there's if there's something you can't get, is that like there was an episode where you used a remix by Hadouken uh, for Oxygen? Yep. If, if if you can't get the actual song, is that where a remix comes in, or is that just a creative choice? That was creative choice for that one. Usually, if there's something we can't get, we go totally separate from it because uh, that's just usually if there's a a halt or an issue with clearing a song I've found anyways, it's usually on the publishing side. So even if you go to clear the master, a different master or a cover or a remix or whatever, you still got to clear the original publishing. And mm -hmm. if the original issue is with that publisher or, you know, based on fees or, or even just getting it approved based on the writers, then no matter what master you're using, you still don't have those publishing rights. So we just basically, if for some reason there's a denial or the fees are too high we just move on to a totally separate artist. We don't usually try to find a different version of that song, if that makes sense. No, no, totally. I, I, I th thought that might be the case, but it yeah. just didn't hurt to ask. No, of course, yeah. I like oh, cool. that. Yeah, it's uh, and I, I, when you're choosing music for Letterkenny or for something like Shit's Creek. Are you, do you guys are in the mindset when, if you are in that creative role, uh, in the mind of the show creators or the actors or the writers, or do you go your, your own way with it? I'm... Oh, we're definitely trying to service the, uh, the vision of the directors, you know, um, we will step in and, and put our, 32 cents in when it's required uh, and asked of us. But I, I think that it's all about a conversation. And again, we're created, we're Sherpas, you know, we're not the ones that ultimately are going to be uh, getting all the glory, in fact, from being up this mountain, but they are. And they're the ones that have to live with it too. So, you know, we have more experience and uh you know our bodies are in tune to it like a sherpa so they can trust us uh but ultimately it's their journey so 
you know, we kind of will do that Stanislavski method thing where we'll try and get into the headspace of the character and really find what they would feel and listen to and all that. But ultimately, it's uh, it's up to the director what that character is, not us. Right on. And uh, I'm also curious, is there any, like, particular music or band or songs that are just kind of like, we can't touch that, even if it's like we, we've, they're notoriously not allowing for people to use their music or it's like millions of dollars to use? Is there like an industry kind of uh, notion <laughs> or rumor like, oh, we just can't go to these people for music? Like the Stones? <laughs> um, look, man, everything's got a price. Everything is up for grabs. Um, we, in our office, make, a, uh, you know, it, it's very important for us to protect our clients, not only give them necessarily what works always musically for the scene, um, you know, in that we won't support you know, Chris Brown, a, a, a R. Kelly kind of character. We won't put misogynistic stuff into our things, racist. You know, so we're keenly aware of protecting our clients as well. Um, that kind of stuff we won't stand for. Um, yeah. But, the, but, but as far as music itself, everything is for sale, my friends. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> You know, on, on a technical level, you guys are artists, even though, like you said, David, you're using somebody else's material. Mm -hmm. What type of technical jargon do you guys throw around? What 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 is specific to your industry, and what kind of shorthand do you, Cody, and Scotty have on any given day? Cody, you want to take that? Sure. Um, so, I mean, uh, often we refer to songs, I guess, see, because I do most of the negotiations and chatting about clearances and that. My shorthands are definitely per side. Uh, so basically, whenever you're clearing a song, there's the master side and the publishing side. So whenever we're talking about a fee all in, uh, then you're talking about the combination of the two. And whenever you're talking about per side, then that means what's the publisher getting paid, what's the master owner getting paid. So per side, and, and a lot of people don't quite understand what expressed per side means. Um, so really it just means, you know, the master and publisher most likely get paid the same amount, but the amount I'm offering you is going to be split down the middle half for either side of the track. That's kind of one shorthand that I can think of, Dave. Any other <laughs> quick jargons uh, we use? Like, like things like it's just this song's a turd, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that translates. Yeah, I mean, we have shorthands for things that we definitely have feelings about, um, but uh, you know, there there is industry jargon. I, I can't really zone in on something right now. Okay. Well, I, I was listening to some the of your podcasts. Stuff like that. Yeah. What are some that I've pointed out then? Because well, yeah, I, I, I know just, we've I just got... heard one, and it just kind of it got my mind going. Uh, you used the term lock off, and oh, okay, I had no idea what that was, so I was asking you guys. Okay, so a lock off. Um, picture yourself changing a light bulb. Right. Okay. So you got to really keep your back straight and then you put your hands in the air as if both hands are reaching for the light bulb. 
you kick your left leg and twirl. Got it? This is a dance thing again. He doesn't know what he said either, and neither do I. So, you know. This goes back to that dancing thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a technique he learned when he was Irish dancing. That's really what it refers to. (laughs) Oh, I like this light bulb story. (laughs) All right, Brian, you go. I think I'm uh, I'm defeated. Thanks, guys. (laughs) I I don't know what else. I honestly don't know what a lock off is. Um, okay. I think I think I might have been referring to uh, American versus Canadian films, if we're being honest. Um, the uh, Canadian films do not have the same kind of coverage that American films have, and that's a big fucking problem. You know, we have like what I call lock off TV. Is like okay, the camera's not moving or it's sitting on a dolly and it's just going down. But really, we're not getting the, you know, the inserts, the close-ups, the extreme close-up macros, um, establishing wide shots outside. We're just always back in a studio on pegs, you know, or a dolly, and the scenes are pretty static. So that's just a bummer for me. And, you know, Cody has pointed out to me on occasions that something's okay, but it looks Canadian. Uh, And I think that's not it. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about when I talk about lock-offs. And in the commercial business, you see that too, you know? Canadian aesthetics with commercial, I think, come from that, like, sort of Saturday Night Live humor that, you know, Canadians have blessed that stage with for many years. And that that culture is a a lock-off in one room, you know? And the action happens with without the camera following it, you know? It's almost like a, a stage frame. And most of our advertising is like that. When I see that immediately, I know their budget's not going to be healthy, you know? So it's not like an American Adidas ad that's following on the back of a skateboard as a leg kicks and then the asphalt and then a close-up of a tear coming down a young girl's eye as she, like, can't play sports and from afar, you know, a ball gets kicked right into the camera. I mean, that's the stuff we long for. So when I'm talking about a lock-off, it's like this whole lock-off culture of just safe, boring filmmaking. Mm. That sounds depressing. I, I lament for you and your countrymen, but <laughs> hey, no, it, it, but it's it's not because of poor directing or craftspeople. It's absolutely because of the budget. It's mm. because we don't have the time or the funding to properly have enough time to shoot those scenes. We have to shoot in double the amount of time. We have to, you know, hustle twice as hard on the locations because we don't have time in those locations. It all comes down to money, you know. Um, it's not, it's not as, you know, it's not craftspeople because clearly you're seeing when Canadian craftspeople are, are able to do their things, they're, they're winning awards, you know, they're starting movements like Letterkenny, you know, it's, 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 it's more about that. Interesting. So with a global pandemic, notwithstanding, so your day to day, your nine to five, whether that's 9 PM to 5 AM, like a, a music artist would be, um, what do you hit the streets? Do you email people? How do you get in touch with the uh, bands or how do you find out about things? Oh, I mean, um, really it's, it's just exploration daily. It's just keeping your ears open to everything going on. Um, early days, I suppose it was, uh, the blogosphere ruled the day and I wasn't joking about being a hoarder, you know, it's truly part of my personality. So I used to download tons and tons of MP3s from blog sites 
um, and those are sadly gone. Uh, you know, we do track stuff on Spotify and whatnot, but in order to pitch it, we need it in our, you know, in our iTunes. So we're going through samplers that people send us, uh, but we're also, you know, we're culture you know we're just all over everything on social media we know who's hot we're watching all of the uh news shows and news blogs and you know everything that everybody else is watching so yeah there's no real mystery um but i i do long for the old blog days all right i like that and is when you're when you're choosing music or helping your clients uh get the right sound and feel do you find yourselves ever mentioning your favorites or something you just heard or just always going back to the uh, old faithfuls, the old familiar sounds that you grew up with? Nobody likes boy bands or pop punks, so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's legit. <laughs> so, Dave, yeah, Dave, you can weigh in on that one because I'm kind of out of that conversation. So, no, I don't go back to my old standbys because... You know, O Town's not cool apparently. I don't know. What? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do. I, I go back to old stuff for timing. Um, I have a few songs that I uh, I adore timing wise, and I'll lay them into a scene just as my own reference. Oh. Is that what you kind of mean? Yeah, like yeah, that that's what I kind of yeah, that's what I was getting at as far as. Uh, yeah, there's a song, uh, uh, Motel, by Brian Borchert that I use often. Um, it's it's a gorgeous song. I think it might be on his Dusted album, um, which was his band. But that one I use to lay in a lot. So even if I want like a female vocal on something, I'll still use that as a starting point um, for my beats. And, um, you know, there's certain songs that I go back to for timing constantly constantly and i i'm curious since you you mentioned that you're you're a collector a hoarder of records and vinyl and whatnot what is the most curious album mp3 or mp3 yeah mp3 specifically (laughs) what's the most curious yeah there's bigger vinyl collectors they're bigger like i'm not the biggest collector guy but i have every fucking digital file around Okay. Every digital file. <laughs> so, so what's what's the most curious, most bizarre recording you have uh, that just blow my mind? I mean, I have a I have a, a forty five uh, of Leonard Nimoy singing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, and I just right. found that in an antique shop. I'm like, oh, this doesn't exist really. <laughs> <But it does. laughs> And so yeah. I'm curious, what's the, what's the most interesting, bizarre recording you have? Mine that I've been trying to get into a film is, um, it's called the Toronto Subway Song. And it's by Ozzy Williams and your favorite music. And it was put out uh, in, I think, the 60s, maybe. And it was about, um, it was about using public transport but also uh, our society at that time didn't have uh, Sunday shopping. So it was part of that, like, what do you call it? The patriarch system or I don't know, that like Christian system that we used to live under. Uh, so it's all about, you know, you can drive the subway every day, every way except Sundays. 
and I think it's the most charming song I've ever heard. I don't know where I found it. Now have you heard what's going on in Toronto? They're digging deeper, deeper, deeper every day. So proprietors are raving while they're tearing up the paving. The racket is nerve-wracking, so they say. And though the noise may be... Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a rarity. I can send it to you to plop in. Oh, please do. I would love for you to send that to me because I would definitely use that. It's, it's called the, the Subway Song? It's called the Toronto Subway Song. Toronto Subway Song. Yeah, it yeah, sure. Brian is. usually puts links to music that we talk about on each episode in the Amazing. post. So yeah, if there's a way that we can get that, that would be awesome. Yeah, well, it's in your inbox, my friend. Thank Hooray. you. Hey, Cody, do you, do you have any uh, O-Town um, B-sides or anything like that? <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm more like mainstream kind of what I hoard. Like I said, I have my my kind of not super popular taste, but it's kind of my nostalgic taste, if you will, for whenever I was growing up. Like I said, the boy bands and like, you know, your Blink-182, your Newfound Glory, your Motion City soundtrack style, but nothing too out of the box. I mean, there is a Blink-182 live recording of them singing uh, Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. So that's one that I've got that's kind of a a gem. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not as, I'm not as hoarder on the music side as Dave is. I'm a, more of a, a movie collector. I have like 1500 DVDs that I just kind of collect and it's been great during this whole quarantine it, it thing. Is. I, I'm right there with you with all these movies. Yeah. And you know, one uh, particular genre of music that I like that I do not see enough on vinyl or uh, MP3s of are all the black exploitation uh, songs from all the 70s yes. movies and their theme songs. Yes. They're super difficult to find. And so sometimes I'm, I, I'm delegated to go to YouTube and just rip the audio file just for my own personal <laughs> care. But I, I love that stuff. Do you guys uh, love that uh, style of music? I personally, I adore it. I don't know, you know, again, I, I it, it's a weird thing. It's one of my songs that I wish I could play some uh, Marlena Shaw liberation conversation. Um, but there's like songs like that, that are just on my bucket list. A lot of those come from the black exploitation era. Um, that era of music, I think inspired by guys like Curtis Mayfield, you know, that lush, lush lush uh production with a keen street vibe at the same time um that dichotomy of those things coming together in the like early 70s is just like speaks to me so much for some reason musically yeah me too sorry to nerd out there but yeah no man big time that that is that is that is really cool i i, I like that aspect that you guys like that and I, w I was reading it looked like that there might be some good hip-hop or rap in an upcoming season of letter kenny is that true or is that there's some original stuff uh that they were writing that we ended up doing all the production for scotty did the production for so you know jared wrote a rap um not sure exactly how it's being used but we had the rap it was pretty good and uh and then they wanted some some beat behind it so we have an, uh, an original being created. And can, you, can you tell us 
without spoiling it, what character might wow, sing you said sold that? me, Cody. What? <laughs> you what sold you? me. Sold you? <laughs> yeah, um, sounds, like a, sounds like fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, uh, I don't know how much I can talk about it, so we'll just leave it oh, at Oh, that's why. That. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to keep I it. I think you're spilling the beans. Up. <laughs> no, no, no. Gotta keep it, you know, tight to the vest. But yes, there. Speaking of that, yes, there was an. That's why it wasn't allowed in the sessions. Now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> now we didn't want you to bring back the river dance, so you know. I did a whole hip hop series, <laughs> and I find out that they're doing like uh, some hip hop song for Letter Kenny. They don't even tell me about it. <laughs> so I'm, what, what's going on here, guys? <laughs> Clearly, internal security issues. Uh, that's so good. one of the great things about you getting to experience music and reach out to either bands that you love or ones that you've just learned about and are, you know, falling in love with that music. What are bands or what are um, what are unexpected friendships and relationships you've had with certain artists, whether you got them for TV or film? That sounds super Winnie the Pooh. I don't know why. <laughs> I call Mark Winnie sometimes. <laughs> I will allow it. <laughs> I don't know. All, all I can say is um, I, I know on my podcasts and such that possibly, and I'm aware that sometimes that w when I pour my love out for artists and I say big love all the time, that it that it is hyperbolic and that it's not true. I truly, truly mean it. I have just such respect for musicians that it automatically transcends their um personality a lot of times i give them way more rope than i do normal people you know usually people are starting from zero and then they got to work their way up into my good books but artists um you know they're really starting from 100 and then they got to piss me off to make me not like them i i really i i see so much um like-minded thinking and dreaming that's happening, especially when I can have on the podcast like real conversations with artists. I'm like, wow, we really feel and think the same way. It makes me feel less alone. But it also, you know, I think it's important to the creative process to be able to think and talk and feel like an artist and not be embarrassed about that. So in that way, I love these people because that's something special, man. That's really something that's truly special in this world that I can be a part of because of them. Gotcha. Well, Cody, if you are the crusher of dreams, what has the, been the biggest win for you? What was it, like, he is the crusher of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the biggest. Actually, it came with Letterkenny. So there's a scene in episode. What episode was that? I wrote it down just so I could talk about it. Five oh seven. Um, it's <laughs> so fuck the way, fuck the pain away by Peaches. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a classic uh, Canadian composition. Yeah, but no, no, that one, that was one that was just kind of an internal joke that ended up working. So for probably, I don't know, months before the placement even came to be, I would just break into the, the whole song and sing it a cappella in the office. And it was like a, an ongoing joke. And then Jared was... No, no, you just kept your door shut. You didn't hear it. But uh, <laughs> Scotty always would make fun of me for it. And then the scene came up and uh, I was talking with Jared about it. And uh, it's during the, the big wedding scene in their first dance. He's like, we need something. He was thinking of some other options. And then kind of he was like referencing Peaches. And I was like, you know what? I just dealt with them on Orphan Black. 
I bet we can make this work. Let's use this song. And then I ended up placing, you know, <laughs> I don't know, a classic. So in my mind, a classic. So that was it kind of a classic. win for me. That, that That is so good. And I, I'll tell you a story about that. I tried to convince my wife for months for that to be our first song at our wedding to dance to. <laughs> yeah. I, I laid it on thick. She likes that song, <laughs> but she was worried about our parents. I was like, my parents like that song. <laughs> it didn't go over. It didn't happen. But trust me, I for months tried to get that song to be our first dance because it is a perfect song. And I'm glad you oh, go great. around the office singing it in life. That's great. I know. I know almost every word. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh. wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Wondrous. <laughs> so and, that was one that we, we made work. So. Good, good deal. Um, and do y'all remember, since you know you're in this music industry, you love bands and musicians. What was your first? Uh, what was your first concert you went to, and what's your most thrilling musical experience or thrilling music experience? Dave, you want to go first? Oh man, I mean, I think I was one of those hippie babies, so I don't know if that counts. Um, but. I went to see Lighthouse as a baby. I think that was on record my first concert, which I thought I thought it was embarrassing my whole life. Um, and to me now, I wear it like a badge of honor. Uh, Lighthouse is a Canadian uh, band, I guess sort of like i don't know what you would compare them to fleetwood mac meets uh the doobie brothers kind of thing um and uh one of their songs pretty lady is also on my bucket list now um but i know i was one of those babies in a diaper at concerts for sure and uh mine to stay true to form was avril lavigne uh and gob and swollen members open for so that's a memorable one. That is a memorable one. <laughs> that is a memorable one. My my first concert was really young too in Dallas at the Sportatorium in downtown where they used to do pro wrestling. And when I was really young, my cousin got me in somehow to see uh, Beastie Boys and uh, Cypress Hill. <laughs> and I don't know how I survived the night, but that was my first ever concert. <laughs> Brian, that explains a lot. It does. Can I say my favorite musical moment? Because it's actually poignant. Mine's totally with Scotty in Austin, Texas, where we saw Leon Russell, whose birthday it would be today. It would be his 70th birthday today. Um, But seeing in Texas the fucking god, Leon Russell, unannounced in a bar with like 200 people just smoking. That was absolutely where God touched me. Oh, that is an amazing story. And I'm a huge fan of Leon Russell. He's worked with literally everybody. And just to see him in Austin, Texas, in an intimate setting, unannounced, that, that I mean, you said it, that is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I'm sure you remember pretty much everything, the smells, the sights, what you were drinking. I definitely, well, it was, it was a, a fucking um, Lone Star, 100%. That's what I got <laughs> for you. <laughs> That's yeah, I, 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 
it was, it was uh, you know, rest in peace, man. Uh, I mean, Leon is 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 the king, but uh, I, I didn't realize the power of just he's a fucking god, man. You just see the man on stage, just white hair, flowing white suit, hardly moving his body, just like kind of belting like you've never heard anybody belt before. He's 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 next level, man. And and only next level stuff happens in Austin, Texas. You are very right about that. Uh, Cody, what was your most thrilling musical experience? That's a good question. I don't know. I've been to, I don't know, the whole college years were kind of a blur because I think I went to like 300 concerts or something like that. I've got a lot of good memories. I don't know if I could just pinpoint to one. All right. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I think think my, my most thrilling one had to be the first time I saw John Williams uh, in the symphony, and it was all of them tuning up right before they played. And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is what I, this is. Well, this is why I want to play clarinet and saxophone." <laughs> and I did at the same time. <laughs> at the same time, so that, I loved it. That, that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was nine, my dad took me to a. Um, a small dive bar in New York and I saw the Johnny and Edgar winter group. So there I was nine year old me might've been 10 listening to Frankenstein and just not understanding what was happening, but <laughs> it was pretty cool. Might've been with the weed in the, 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 the house that night, but it was still pretty life changing. Little, little contact. I never heard anybody. Not one. Hell no. <laughs> no. Well, that's how, I, that's how Cody lives his life in our office. That's right. <laughs> he, he, he does that while singing, sucking on my titties. That's right. <laughs> Every once in a while, wonders why he's in such a good mood. And then he opens the door to my office. I don't smoke weed, but I like the way it smells. <laughs> I didn't exhale. Uh, so I, I, we're, we're rounding out this podcast, but we got one more question for you. I believe Mark has this fun question for you guys. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, I have to commend you, David, on the podcast, the um, Listen to Ice Cream and Young Gov and, and Ben Dickey. And I, I too, have uh, interviewed Ben, so he's a really cool cat to chat with. But oh, right on. You, you dropped this one um, one notion about music, and you said, I wish I could live in a song. So, ah, And that got my head churning. So I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but hey, you're on the spot. What song would you want to live in and just never leave? Are You Sleeping by Harry Nilsson. Oh, I love that guy. <sighs> Good question. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to be as cool as David. Let's just. That's not cool. That's from a kid's show, man. That's from the point. That goes back to like you know your first concert. These things are important questions because when you're young, that's when everything matters, man. And I still, I'm forty something years old. I still go back to that song, you know, all the time when I'm just feeling it. Like I just want to live in that song. That's super cool. Well, it's I'll, not I'll... cool, Cody. It's not cool. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I, to think about it. Well, I mean, I was gonna say "fuck the pain away" just to like round that joke out, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Let's just say that. <laughs> done. You gotta go out on that song on the Fuck podcast. Fuck the pain away by by Peaches. Done. <laughs> nice, Brian. What do you? What about you? What song would you want to live in? Um, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting question because my two favorite 
artists of all time, or three favorite, are Frank Zappa, Tom Waits, and Michael Jackson. So, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it would be like Joe's Garage from Frank Zappa or Eyeball Kid from Tom Waits. One of those okay. two. <laughs> Smooth. I can get so I can get lost in some peaches on Regala any day of the week. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've always been a, a fan of uh, No Excuses by uh, Alice in Chains. There's just something about the drums and that that song that you kind of just don't want it to end. And like if you were going to take a road trip and you had infinite gas and you played that song on repeat, that's just sort of what what I imagine uh, that's that song to be. Or, or we could all say, uh, I like Big Butts by Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> there you go. It's a great song. I cry every time. The man doesn't Classic. fib. Or maybe I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. But uh, yeah, thank, uh, thank you, David. Thank you, Cody, for coming on our show. We're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Um, David, Cody, I-, I know you're all over Pornhub. What are your uh, screen <laughs> names for Pornhub so we can look you up? Mine's uh, <laughs> at Cody Partridge 89. 89? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, no, but on the socials, I'm uh, Cody Party Pants. That'd be my my tag. All right. And you just follow me at We Are the Supergroup everywhere. That sounds great. Uh, look these guys up. They know what they're doing. Uh, they, they are truly Sherpas and music warriors in a time when we need them. So here's to you fellas, the Lone Star going in. Uh, thank you for being on our show. Thanks for having us. All right. Keep Texas safe. You too. Keep Canada safe. Keep Austin weird. <laughs> Texas forever. <laughs> Can't confirm. <laughs>